Weddings ish, 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 Hello, and thank you so much for tuning in to Weddings ish with Jove. This episode, we're going to talk all about wedding tips, gratuity for your wedding vendors. Also going to gab a little bit about The Real Housewives of New York City. The season premiere episode was so good. And I sit down with the talented photographer, Sam Blake. Stay tuned and enjoy. Weddings-ish! Sometimes it can be super awkward to talk about money. So I've decided to dedicate this episode to talking all about tips. Gratuity for your wedding vendors. A lot of parents and couples ask me, Jove, do I need to tip my vendors? I feel like they already charged me so much money. Do they need a tip? And I just want to sort of talk about what tipping is and why it's important and if you need to do it or not. So weddings fall in the category of the service industry. That being said, tipping is always encouraged and always appreciated, but never required. If the vendor wanted you to tip and the tipping was required, it would absolutely be included in your contract. Oftentimes, the caterer would include the gratuity or a service charge in your contract. Otherwise, most vendors don't. They leave it up to you to tip them if you're happy with their service, if you love the way they treated you, or if you thought they went above and beyond to do uh, their job at your wedding. So I'm just going to go through a list of all of the different vendors and what I would consider sort of a good tip or a good um, beginning tip for those vendors. And again, this is all just advice. Uh, do with it what you please. And we're also going to post it on the website, jovemeyerevents.com slash podcast, so that you can have it for reference. So the wedding planner. That's me. <laughs> Awkward to talk about money. Um, but tipping the wedding planner, we suggest 400 or more for the planner and 100 or more for their assistant if they're your full-service wedding planner, meaning they've been working with you for eight months, a year, sometimes two years. Um, some other people would say it's 10% of their total bill, um, but we suggest that this is more than enough. And if you don't feel comfortable giving cash, of course, a gift card is always nice. Um, and if you're not going to tip anyone, a handwritten letter, a thank you card is always so, so lovely. Caterer, as briefly mentioned before, uh, oftentimes it's included in their contract at 18 to 22%. This gratuity, however, may not actually go to the people working on your wedding day, so you just want to double check to see if it's gratuity for the staff working on the wedding day, the servers, the bartenders, the chefs, the bussers, the sanitation, all the different people making your wedding day special, or if it's what they call a service charge or an admin charge, which means it goes to the catering company and often it pays for the salesperson who managed the event on the back end for the duration of working with you over the course of the six months, eight months, or a year. Uh, so if the gratuity is included and it's going to the team day of, then you're all set. If it's not included or it's a service fee not going to the team members working on your wedding, then we suggest $200 or more for the captain or the event manager. That's the person that's sort of the face of the catering company that's managing the flow of the food service for the night. They're managing the bartenders and all the bussers and the servers, making sure everything goes well. Um, and then $60 or more for servers and bartenders, sort of everyone else on the floor. And then 40 or more for the chefs in the back of house. Hair and makeup. This is a great one, and definitely this is the service industry. You get what you pay for. Hair and makeup is not cheap, as we talked about in a previous episode. 
But these are artists who are dedicating their time and their life to making brides and grooms and family members feel pretty. So we suggest 15 to 20% of the overall cost of the service um, is what you would tip. And then photographer and videographer. So typically they work the same length. It's a seven to nine or 10 hour day. And then they do all the post-production. So tipping them $100 um, or more for the photographer or videographer and then $75 or more for their assistant is usually super generous. And I always suggest tipping the photographer because their work doesn't end at the wedding. Their work is really just beginning the editing process. So, you know, when you tip someone, they're much nicer to you and they'll look more favorably upon your work. Not to say that if you don't tip them, you'll have bad photos, but you get what I'm saying. The officiant. I think a $50, $75, $100 tip um, for them would be great. Or if you make a donation to their church or organization on behalf of your wedding, that's also a nice gesture if they themselves don't want to take any money for their service. Musicians, if you have a band, whether it's a you know a soloist, a duo, a trio, you know, a 12 person band, oftentimes they're repped by a company. So the price that you pay uh, for the band, the band members themselves are not getting that fee completely. So they love a cash tip. And $40 or more per musician is a great way to begin. And then if you have a DJ, $60 or more for the DJ is great. If they own their own company, um, also wonderful, but sometimes they're repped through an agent who will take a cut of their check. So they love a good tip. The florist. This one is sort of a big question in the industry. A lot of people out there in the wedding sphere say you don't have to tip the florist. I'm a big fan of tipping everyone who helped to make your big day beautiful and who's there for hours and hours and hours um, to bring the vision to life. So we suggest 200 or more for them and their team. Um, and you go up from there if you're just absolutely, you know, your breath is taken away and they went above and beyond to, to bring your vision to life transportation. So these guys I think are often forgot about. Um, and this means sort of the bus drivers, the limo driver, if you've got a SUV, a black car, anyone who's driving around the wedding party or the family or the friends, sometimes the 15 to 22% gratuity is included in their contract. But again, you have to double check because it could be a service charge or an admin fee not necessarily gratuity that the driver gets. Um, so on that end, if you just give them $20 or more per driver, they're super happy. And then there's coat check, the lovely uh, person or people who stand behind and take the tickets and take the coats. They're the first person the guest sees and the last person the guest sees. So you want a happy well-tipped coat check person. And most people say or recommend around $1 to $2 per guest is good because they will also get tips from some of your guests um, who bring cash to tip them. But additionally, if you tip them, that would be lovely. And then valet, the people that park, protect, um, and watch the cars, similar to coat check, your first point of entry and your last point of exit um, at the wedding. So you want to tip them a similar valuation of $1 to $2 per guest. And they may also get tipped by guests, but sometimes at a wedding, people are so drunk when they leave or have been drinking too much, they forget to tip um, at the end. So it's always nice when the host tips as well. And the last person I like to tip is the rental staff. So you may be wondering, why are we going to tip a rental staff? They just dropped off our rentals and they left. And nine times out of 10, the couple never even sees them. But 
these guys work so hard lifting like hundreds of pounds of rentals and tables and chairs and linens and glasses. It's so much manual labor and they are often the nicest people. So a $20 tip per mover will just make their day. Um, So that's sort of my suggested tipping guide. Again, we're going to have it on the website for you. And one more time, I'd just like to reiterate that tipping is not required at all. It's 100% optional. And my word of advice is if you love the service you you received from your vendor and you just absolutely had the best time with them and they made you happy, then show a little love via a cash tip. Weddings-ish! The Real Housewives of New York City. Oh my gosh, I'm in love with this season already. Uh, So I just wanted to talk about a few things. I mean, we're foreshadowing ahead all of the drama that's coming up with Luann and her sort of like ability to sleep around and sort of cheat on married men and yada, yada, yada. All of that's going to come to the surface from the past seasons. Um, And we have Bethany sort of undergoing something super emotional uh, towards the end of the season and Dorinda and John and sort of some alcohol tendencies there. There's just a lot of things that are coming up that seem really, really interesting. Speaking of Bethany, I really just feel like it should be called The Real Housewives of New York City or like with Bethany Frankel or Bethany Frankel and The Real Housewives of New York City because it really is her show. It's about her. She drives it. She speaks the most and she's the biggest, boldest character who also has the fattest paycheck of any housewife. So get it, Bethany. You are my spirit animal. And speaking of her, her hair, I mean, literally in the season highlight, she has like nine different looks. So I'm kind of obsessed with Bethany and her hair and her fashion choices um, thus far in the first episode were beautiful. I also want to talk about Adam, which is Carol's boyfriend. Kind of shocked they're still together. They hooked up at Luann's house in the Hamptons, uh, started dating you know, who maybe everyone sort of thought, okay, it's just for camera, but to be together over a year and he travels for work and she's, you know, a little bit older than he is. I love that they're together and that they're happy. And now they have a dog who's so cute, Um, but he's hot. Adam is very attractive. I'm into his man bun. I'm into them together. And I want to see a little bit more of their chemistry on camera and a little bit more about their relationship. Dorinda's man, on the other hand, John, is so weird. I don't know. I just get such a weird vibe from him. It's like he's trying really hard and just so awkward socially. Um, All he wants to talk about is dry cleaning and like play the weird like, oh, you have something on your jacket game and then like point and zip up. Like, I don't know. He's annoying. He's weird. I think Dorinda deserves better. But here's the deal. If they're in love and he makes her happy in a way we're not seeing on camera, then get it, Dorinda. Happiness is what we all want. And if you have it, I'm happy for you. I do think it's cute that they celebrate their month anniversary Every month they celebrate their anniversary. Um, I think that that's beautiful. I love that kind of tradition of sharing your love month by month rather than keeping it monotonous, you know, celebrating love and life. I do think that's cute. I died when Bethany called him a chubby baby. (laughs) I literally died. I like spit out my rosé a little bit when she said that. Um, And Jules, she's the brand new housewife, Japanese, Jewish, tall, 
beautiful. Um, you definitely can see the foreshadowing of her and Bethany getting into some bigger altercations down the road as Bethany hinted at an eating disorder. I mean, she's very skinny. Like those arms are so thin. Her face is so thin. Um, it could be genetics. Asians are built thinner. Um, it could be because she works out all the time or it could be because she's having an eating disorder. Um, and whatever the situation is, you know, I'm excited to watch it unfold and sort of see what happens there. I do love that she's so proud to be a mom, that that's her full-time job, and that she may not have any sense of reality of what things cost, because as Bethany said, her husband is her ATM machine, and she just sort of spends money and doesn't really know where it comes from, um, saying, you're in charge of raising humans, like, that's her job as a mother, but then her son wouldn't eat dinner and instead got a popsicle for dinner. So, um, yeah, I'm interested to see sort of her parenting skills and also to sort of watch that relationship unfold and learn more about her and her husband and i just have to end my rant on the new york city housewives when <laughs> carol and ramona were talking about reggae and ramona just couldn't figure it out and she kept saying reggae i love reggae music it's so reggae and carol bless her she was like ray gay so anyways i love the housewives this is definitely off to a good start, and I can't wait to see what happens next. Weddings-ish! I couldn't be more excited to be sitting across from the beautiful, talented, smart, funny, Australian photographer, Sam Blake. How are you? I'm good, thanks, Jerry. How are you today? I'm well. It's a little bit cold here in Brooklyn, but... It is. Your apartment is so beautiful. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's lovely to have you over. Yeah, so we first met... Where did we first meet? I'm trying to remember. I think it was an Entwined event. Or was it your birthday? Or did I come to your birthday after the Entwined event? No, it was the Christmas party at the Levy. That's I think. it. You hosted a Christmas party. Yes. All photographers and me. <laughs> Maybe yes. there was other people there, but it <laughs> felt like a land of photographers. My boyfriend was there. Okay, non-photographer. Yeah. And we'll get to him later. Um, but I'm super excited to have you on. And I, first of all, love your work. It's so beautiful. Um, and I know you have quite a few fans out there. Um, I guess to me, as a photographer, how did you get your start? What was the first photograph you ever took? Oh, wow. Uh, first photograph I ever took was... Me and my sisters dressing up and uh -huh. doing fashion shoots Okay. when we were, like, maybe seven, eight years old on those little, long, um, compact cameras uh -huh. back in the early 90s. With film? Yes, hot pink camera. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Naturally. Very cutting edge at the time. Um, no, and from there, I traveled a lot as a kid. I did, like, a student exchange to Japan, so just kind of been on the road a fair bit you know, instantly gravitating to taking pictures of all of that. And it was kind of from that, I think I was inspired to pursue photography sure. as a career. And after graduating high school, I went straight off to university to study photography. Okay. And where did you go to school in the States? or in a, You're from Australia? Yes. Okay. I don't want to offend you. Some people, the accent is there, but definitely Australian. Yes, definitely Australian. Okay. Uh, where in Australia? I grew up in a town called Albany, which is on the south coast of Western Australia. Okay. And the next city is about five hours away, and that was where I went to university. Okay. So you stayed 
near home. Well, five hours drive. Far enough to be independent. Yeah, like, so I moved out of home when I was 17, which was great. Because we start, uh, like, university slash college a little younger, I think, than you guys do over here. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it was. I found freedom at seventeen. It was okay, lovely. and you went right for photography. Yes. Okay, and yep. what was studying photography like? I'm sure it wasn't wedding photography. It was just photography as an art form, or I have no idea what you do in photography college. So tell me everything. My uh, photography uh, degree um, it's called it was called photo media, and it was definitely a fine art slash social documentary orientated course um so it was nothing technical whatsoever it was all about why to take a photograph than how to take a photograph so the reason more than the like the steps to actually doing it yes fascinating so i graduated (laughs) (laughs) not having a very good technical understanding but i'm still so grateful for the the three years of just being immersed in photo world uh, yeah particularly like in the fine art and the social side that, um, yeah, just like, anal- like, you know, really looking at why photography is important in our society and mm-hmm. the more yet the reasons why rather than any of the hows. Got it. It's so fascinating. You'd imagine if you go to school for three years, you would learn about the hows, but I guess this approach is just very different. Yeah. Or is that normal? Uh, well, it was probably because class started at nine that I would probably... Slept through some of the technical. Okay. There's <laughs> the truth. There's the, there's the half truth. <laughs> I just know there was definitely more importance on the on the whys, and there's only a few classes in the on the technical side. And Got it. That may just went away over my head. Okay, which is totally fair. I mean, you were young. It's not like, you know. Oh, yeah, if I got to go back now. Sure. Oh, I would love it so much just to like, hang out in a dark room all Your day. Your appreciation would be so different. Totally. So then what was the first thing you sort of photographed after school? Did you, were you drawn to nature? Were you drawn to portraits? Were you drawn, like, how did you get to weddings? Uh, so I always wanted to be a social documentary photographer, kind of mm-hmm. like a war photographer. Yeah. Uh, you know, when I was like 18. Like thinking. a photojournalist. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and then I was eight, you know, 18, 19 at this stage and, you know, you just think anything is possible mm-hmm. uh, and just not the realities of what that life actually is. Yeah. Uh, I, but I actually photographed my first wedding just before graduating. Uh, for somebody contacted the school asking um, if a student wanted to shoot their wedding for cheap and I put my hand up because I was saving up money to... Uh, go backpacking so I was like eager to get any job possible sure you're a college student yeah yeah I get and that. I wanted to get the hell out of Australia um so this wedding was $500 and it was all filmed back then this was prior to digital yeah and um shot the wedding for $500 and made minus $5 profit <laughs> okay there you go but you know you started at the bottom now oh, we're yeah. here <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. And did you that? So obviously, it was a huge learning experience for you because you had never shot a wedding before. Yes. So did you just sort of fake it till you made it, or did you? Because you couldn't just Google right, like how to shoot a wedding. No, I kind of don't even think I looked at any wedding photos. Okay. Um, when I went and shot this wedding, I was just kind of like, I'll just shoot it. Yeah. I'll just shoot a wedding how I think it should be shot. You just capture the events. Yeah. Yeah. Um. 
and I look back on that wedding now and there's obviously some very hideous stuff <laughs> <laughs> in there, but then there's some stuff I can see yeah. that's still kind of true to who I am today Sure. as such. Oh. And so from there, give us the history. What happened? You shot that wedding. You said you wanted to travel and leave Australia. Mm-hmm. So what happened next? So I, after graduating college, I got a corporate job. Uh, Boo. <laughs> yeah, in the in the photography industry, but it was for the mining industry. Oh, interesting. So I was in charge of like the photographic and video libraries for like all of the big name mining companies. Huge. And it, there's something really beautiful about mining from like for you as a photographer. Um, so maybe I'm totally wrong, but I feel like I don't know. The contrast is really pretty in what that is. Yeah. <laughs> or not. I s- <laughs> <laughs> not at all. <laughs> well, I didn't. I didn't really go out and take many of the photos. I was just got it. Making sure, like when, like if Greenpeace called up, that mm-hmm. they got the correct photographs I and see. not these other photographs. Okay. And I see. I was like the person to approve to what, who got what. Got it. And make sure the company's always Looks look good. Best, sure. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so I did that for two and a half years, purely to be raising money. To go on this epic backpacking adventure that I've been dreaming of my whole life. Yeah. Uh, so two and a half years to get enough money to do that. Quit my job and then went backpacking for a year. That's amazing. And where did you go? Went all through Asia, uh, Singapore, Thailand, China, India, all through Europe, and then through America. I guess the better question is where didn't you go? I mean, that's epic. Africa. <laughs> One year you just backpacked. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I had to stop off in London to recoup the funds. Sure, <laughs> to refresh. <laughs> yeah, just to, like, run out of money. I had to get a job. Yeah. <laughs> you know, money is needed for travel sometimes. Yes. Um, and did you document your travels? Was it for photography purpose or for you and for your inner self to just travel and, and go and experience? It was both. It was definitely going to be the trip that was going to make my career. You know, that's what I thought. Sure. Uh <laughs> But I because no one else had ever gone around the world and taken photos. <laughs> yes, so it was going to be like you know all my photojournalistic stuff. I was yeah. going to get on this trip, even though I'm going to like all the common touristy sites in all these countries. So yeah, I think. Um, and this was 2006, so okay. this is before iPhones. Yep, and this is before GPS on phones, oh my like gosh. no maps. So you were just walking for hours. <laughs> With the co- old-fashioned compass, trying to work out which way I'm going to go. North uh, is which way? Yeah. So that was, it was really stressful and hard, particularly in, like, China and all of that. Um, well, language barriers, too, are real. I mean, and without an app or a way to Google, like, how do you say this? Totally. That's crazy. I had this one memory of me being in a train going from Beijing to Chengdu, just like a, it was a 50-hour train ride. Five zero? Yeah. On it, a train? Yeah. It was like, yeah, two over two nights. <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> it, it was horrible. Did um, you have a bed? Yeah, yeah, had a bed. Like, oh, my gosh. We paid for first class. Sure. So we at least had the, the flat beds. But oh, my gosh. We didn't really pack enough food for the trip because we were like, oh, we'll just buy it on, on the train. But the food carriage, like the restaurant carriage, there was no English menus. It was all Chinese. So I have this memory of me mining, like I want to order like a chicken dish. Yeah. So I'm like actually... Mocking a chicken? Yeah. Like this is- <laughs> <laughs> Did it work? Did you get chicken? I got my chicken. Oh my God. <laughs> so, and that's why we travel. I mean, you experience so much of the world by doing it as opposed to just seeing it online. 
Yeah, for sure. That's and amazing. Going through all those really uncomfortable situations as well. Like yeah. just being lost in a foreign city and uh, not being able to find your hostel. Yeah. And all of the things. And you weren't even booking them online, right? Like, how do you... You get to the city, find a hot, like walk around, find a hostel, book it, explore it, and then figure out what to do. Yeah, yeah. Well, it had like Lonely Planet Guide, and that would yeah. list hotel, places uh, you could hostel, go, hostels, and that. So it's very different traveling to how I do these days. Sure, absolutely. <laughs> That's crazy. Um, so you did that, and then you made it back to the states. Yeah. So I only only spent like a little time in the states before going back to Australia. Okay. Uh, I kind of just ha- was kind of over traveling at this yeah. stage because it gets really exhausting. Yeah. And obviously, ran out of money again. <laughs> uh, so it was in January 2007. Like, I made my mind up I was going to become do the wedding photography thing. Okay. Was like, there a turning point for you, or you just saw that you could make money, you had a skill, so do it? Yeah, I had been unemployed for a year. That'll do it. <laughs> so not having a boss again was yeah. really appealing. Yeah. Uh, like I just couldn't go back into a normal nine to five job. Yeah. Um, and while I was having the corporate job, I was shooting weddings every weekend. Okay, on so the I side. Did, yeah, I had a really good portfolio. So I've been shooting at weddings for this stage at about for about three four years. Okay, just on the side while you did something else. Yeah. So yeah. it was similar. I worked corporate America while my company was growing. Yeah, yeah, uh, and yes, because I was unemployed, I had a thousand dollars to my name. Oh my god. <laughs> Nothing else. And I'm like, I have to make this work. Yeah. And I worked my butt off so much that year. Yeah. And I'm getting like maybe 30, 40 bookings in that first year. Oh my gosh. I, I hustled hard. Yeah. And then from then it's kind of just the business just kept growing and growing and growing. That's amazing. I mean, I feel like hard work and hustling is, you know, you've got to put it in, you got to do it. I don't find many people super lucky that work just falls in their lap or people come begging. It's usually <laughs> hard work and, and a beautiful product that that works out and here we are and how many weddings do you do a year what's your goal like dream life for weddings dream life would be about 20 weddings a year okay and i'm at that pretty much hitting that point right now okay but then i'm like oh maybe i should shoot a few more yeah i need (laughs) 25 yeah it's just like oh money yeah um but i back in the early days so like 2000 2008, 2009, 2010, I was doing like 60 weddings a year. I was so busy. Six, zero. Yes. So busy. That's more than one a weekend. Yeah, I was doing like pretty much every Saturday, Sunday, and then sometimes Fridays All as over well. the world, or that was more no, local? No, this is all in like Perth Got and it. surrounding areas. Yeah. So it was like, yeah, still before like the whole destination thing kind of kicked off. Sure. Um, so you're doing that locally in Australia, doing that many weddings a year. Mm-hmm. And then when did you become Miss Destination? I feel like your portfolio is literally all over the world. Yeah, uh, it was kind of all started. That all kind of kicked off in 2011. Okay. I ended a relationship. I was engaged. Mm-hmm. Sold the house. And sold, this is in Australia. Yeah, yeah. Sold the car. Gave the dog. To oh, the no. Ex. <laughs> And just left. Yeah. And so for the first time in years, I had this freedom. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I got on a plane and and I was like kind of, I was about 27 at this stage. Yeah. So I was just that, a little bit older than my other travels, way more confident to go out and do this stuff on by myself. Mm-hmm. 
And then that's where, because like I was happy to travel by myself now, all these destination weddings came my way because they don't have to pay for one airfare rather than like if you insist on going as a couple or bringing a second shooter. Which you did. You wanted to fly together. Um, well, this is when I'm single, so... Oh, got it. But when you weren't single, you wanted to bring your plus one? Yeah, got yeah. It. And I did, like, a wedding in New Zealand, but that kind of cut into all our profits, because sure. I would pay for his ticket, and then yeah. you end up with nothing left over. Yeah. <laughs> Beautiful <laughs> photos, a nice time, but no money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which is no fun. <laughs> got it. So you were newly single, which opened up the opportunity to travel, because you weren't, for lack of better words, tied down to someone. Or yeah, some place. Yeah. Wow. And then how did you end up here in New York, in Brooklyn? So part of that uh, single period of just traveling and mm-hmm. living out of a suitcase, I taught a workshop in New York in uh, 2012. Okay. And I had a little fling with a guy. Mm, I love a fling. And he, like, showed me New York, like, and it was, like, felt like it was, like, a local's perspective. Uh I was only supposed to be here for two weeks. (laughs) But in that two weeks, it was amazing. Because, like, going out as a local when you're, like, actually a tourist was just amazing. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, I really like New York. And uh, that relationship quickly fizzled. Okay. And I was left with, because I decided to stay on to see how that would work out. Sure. And he dumped me. And, um... (laughs) (laughs) But then I had two two months here by myself. <laughs> he dumped you, but you had New York City. I I had New York, uh, but I had paid two months sublet on an apartment, so uh-huh. I was kind of like heartbroken. But I couldn't leave. Yeah, and so I felt like I fell in love with New York. Like I was li- I was living in Bushwick. Okay. Uh, I didn't know anyone in the city, and just each day I went out with my camera and documented things, and I started writing, and it was like this amazing creative period in my life. Mm-hmm. I just think, yeah. Two months by yourself in a big city yeah. where you, you don't know anyone type of thing. It kind of just pushed me in so many, like, com- you know, pushed me out of my comfort zone. I mean, in New York City, I feel like, can swallow you, make you, or break you. I mean, you didn't know anybody, and instead of sitting alone feeling sad for yourself, you picked up a camera and you went out and you documented. Yeah. That's incredible. It's, it's like the best city in the world, but it can also feel like the loneliest city in the world when you don't know anybody. Oh, totally. I still have days like that, like yeah. where I'm like, you know, I'm now being here almost four years, that it's like, who do I, you know, like you can just feel very alone in this city. Yeah, Anything. it's such a crazy thing. Um, so you said those are some of your favorite mo- pictures that you've captured or that yeah, just that experience just that whole experience it was just like a an awakening type thing so I think I was feeling very burnt out from photography mm-hmm. just working my butt off for the last few years and taking that time out yeah um, just to focus on my own creativity rather sure. than creativity for anyone else um and then like after that two months I had to go back to Australia because I had weddings to shoot got it but the seed was planted yeah and I was like okay I just need to get a work visa you tasted it (laughs) yeah and then six months later I moved here got it and that was it and you haven't been back I mean you've been a full-time New York resident yes but you obviously travel extensively I do yeah yeah uh so last year I think I was on about 70 flights 70 I think seven zero yeah that's Literally insane. Yep. 
I mean, do you have the best miles in the world? Like, I do. <laughs> yeah, so I'll take that upgrade. I'll take that free drink. Oh, yeah, I cashed a lot of points last year for business class. Now I've got a taste of business class. Oh, you can't go back. I know. You can't go it's, back. It's a, do you require that for your international flights that, the, that they book you business? <laughs> I should start. No. I mean, if it's me. such a long flight, you know what I mean? It's so expensive. Though. It is. The, the jump in prices is very different. Yeah, yeah, totally. Like, I can't fathom paying six to ten grand for a for flight. just the flight yeah not at all it's crazy but let's talk about that because i think a lot of couples you know and i don't i do some destination but not a lot but sometimes i find when i do destination couples sort of feel like they're doing me a favor a little bit like you get to go to this warm place while it's cold in new york and it'll be really fun for you and it's like a little vacation but in my experience it's not really a vacation. I mean, <laughs> you, you're working your butt off the entire time. You're getting there. You're figuring it out. You're, you know, seeing all the sites. You're like, it's work start to finish, right? Yeah. It's not like, oh, I'm on holiday for four days. I shoot a wedding for one day and then I leave. It's definitely, for me anyways, when I do it, it's working all the way through. Is it the same for you or different for you? Oh, no, totally. So I've been flying to California every two weeks because oh I have wedding, weddings over there. So I just got back and now I'm going to start packing my bag again to go for next weekend. And it's just like the days leading up to about going away are stressful. Mm-hmm. Like, because I've just got to organize stuff at home and yeah. get jobs done before I go. And then it's like waking up at like five in the morning to get the early flight. Yeah. And it's just exhausting. And then you've got to do like all the scouting and all of that and like I went to bed at like 8 p.m the other night I had like <laughs> lonely person dinner of Chinese food because like I'm in a, a little tiny town where I don't know anyone yeah don't know where to eat in a hotel room in a hotel room <laughs> eating Chinese takeout and then going to yeah. bed at eight because I'm exhausted yeah uh, and then get up and shoot a wedding in the morning yeah uh, so glamorous <laughs> So glamorous. Oh, I had the, I started this photo series of all my lonely person meals. I eat so many meals by myself. I feel like that should be on Instagram. You should have an account. Yeah, it's very sad. Yeah, but you know, I listen, I'm right there with you. I just got back from a trip to Miami planning a wedding for a couple that I adore. But it was definitely lonely meals. And I was like, all right, cool. Well, I'm done with the couple. Like we finished at six o'clock in the evening or something. And I'm like, so now what? And it was like, well, I'm going to Google a restaurant. I went and sat at a bar and had a lonely meal and back to the hotel. And I was like, I don't have a dog. I don't have friends. There's a TV, which I don't normally have. I'm like, what else do you do? Like, it's such a funny thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a weird Weird lifestyle. Actually, on the way back from my last trip, I started watching Up in the Air. Okay. Do you remember that yeah, movie? Yeah, that was a it's, great movie. It's just all about that sort of lifestyle yeah. of living in, out of a suitcase and coming obsessed with the frequent flyer points. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> you want that platinum membership. <laughs> I do. Uh, yeah, no, I just thought it'd be funny to watch that again now. I'm a few years like, into it. Into it. Because like, that movie came out in 2009 yeah. before I really had that lifestyle and now I watch it and it's like hilarious. I think a lot of people also fantasize about maybe the world that you're living in or destination planners or destination photographers. Even for me, when I first started and I was like, Mr. Brooklyn, I want to only do Brooklyn. Then there was that fantasy of like doing things abroad, but it's so much more work than I anticipated when I first started. I imagine for you, it's a similar type of, you know, is that fantasy a common fantasy for photographers? Oh, totally. I think everyone's idea of success is if 
you get a destination wedding or mm-hmm. you're a full-time destination wedding photographer, that's success. Yeah. But it, it's it's just, it, like, I'm very grateful I get of to course. have this lifestyle, yeah. but it comes at cost. Sure. Like, my health, because I'm constantly living out of a suitcase. Mm-hmm. I don't get to maintain a, like, a workout routine, mm-hmm. or I should just probably be more strict on myself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then you're Tiny eating, details. like... You're eating, rest, I mean, airport food, which isn't the best. Yeah. Um, you're hanging out with a bunch of strangers on a plane that you're going to pick up, you're picking up germs. Going to get sick. Yeah, always. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so there's all these things that are just, like, you get run down a lot more. Mm-hmm. And then just the, the jet lag yeah. kills you. And because I go back to Australia a fair bit, um, the jet lag kind of knocks me out for a week. Because it's a... It's the flight alone is what 12, 14 hours. Well, where my family is on the west coast, it's forty hours. Four zero. Yeah. Oh my god. Because you have to stop off somewhere. <laughs> yeah, in order to get there. And then there. that, including that time. It's like nearly two days of flying, and then the time change. Yeah, so it's exactly twelve hours behind. So oh basically, gosh. I couldn't be any further away from my family. That if you dig a hole through New York, come out the other side, you're really close to the town I grew up in. <laughs> That's insane. Yeah. <laughs> but the pro sides of doing destination weddings is you literally have a brand new canvas every time you're shooting, right? It's a new country, it's a new venue, it's a new scenery. So as a photographer, I imagine that's very refreshing for you. Totally. I I do enjoy that. I love shooting at venues for the first time. Uh to me that's the ideal mm-hmm. to like rather than then like shooting at the same venue for 15 every weddings. Weekend. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and you know, I've been like getting to go to Iceland for a wedding or the Faroe Islands for a wedding or mm-hmm. I've been to Japan for a wedding. Uh, like that's amazing. Like just the different cultures, mm-hmm. like the Faroe Islands wedding I did, they were like locals. And I actually realized I never did a wedding where I wasn't able to understand what was going on. Huh. Like I've done other weddings where it might be like, there would still be like quite a few English speaking sure. guests. Uh, this wedding... It completely went over my head. Like I'm like, I have no idea what's At happening. All. Nobody spoke English. The some of the guests did. Okay, but like nothing. Like all the speeches and toasts were all in Faroese. So I'm like, I don't know what, who's who. Yeah, or, <laughs> what's going on? Yeah, like I just want to have a like run to the loo. Yeah, but I can't. Yeah, I can't work <laughs> out what's happening. If I'm gonna miss something or not. Oh my <laughs> yeah. gosh. The bathroom problem. It's always a problem on the day of the wedding because you don't want to miss anything. That's true. That's one of the plus sides of having a second shooter. Yeah, which always helps. So are you a fan of always having a second shooter or what's your sort of general rule of thumb? No, I love shooting weddings by myself. Um, okay. For, well, there's plus sides, obviously both. Like the wedding I just shot uh, in, on the weekend in California. Uh, I did it by myself. It was a smallish wedding. It was like 80 guests. Okay. And there was a daytime wedding, so I got I just hanged out for a few extra hours because I just knew it was going to be such a great wedding. Yeah. Um. Because otherwise, I was going to be going back to my boring hotel room at like six p.m. Lonely meal. Yeah, I was like, oh, <laughs> hang out here. Like, I know it's going to be a great wedding. Like, yeah. I'm not going to charge them extra. It's like my wedding gift to them. They're like, I love this couple. Yeah. Um, and I could do that because I was by myself. Yeah. Whereas with a second shooter, you kind of a bit more accountable to like someone else and paying them by the hour yeah yeah yeah. and um but then on the plus side of having second shooters is uh 
the bigger weddings for mm-hmm. sure, like the 200, 300 guest weddings, then uh, it's definitely needed. Though I did one wedding last year where I had two second shooters. Oh, wow. And that was chaotic. That's a lot of people. That was a lot of editing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had to do it all. Yeah. <laughs> well, and then at that point, you're managing shooters and not really being the main shooter. That's the, that's the, what I had is like, I had to have a, um, a you had an earpiece, an earpiece. Oh and they're gosh. like, the planners are telling me like, you need to get a photographer over to this. And I'm like, but I'm taking photos. Yeah. Like I, I don't need to be managing people. Yeah. You're uh, like, I'm here to do something. <laughs> like when I like have in my creative creativity sort of bubble, like I don't want that to be popped. Yeah. And I think that's why like, I in a way prefer working by myself. Sure. Because I get to just hang out in that bubble yeah. without worrying where the second shooter is. You have is. full creative control and you can sort of manage your day and your camera as you see fit. Yeah, yeah. I love that. But then also it is fun when you get to go take a friend uh, so you don't have the lonely person dinner. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and there's something nice about that. And you get double the images usually, right, in terms of for you to edit. But if you have a second shooter, you still edit all of the photos. Yes. It's all through you. Yeah, yeah. So generally the couple wouldn't know who took what. Exactly. Um, it's all very consistent mm-hmm. throughout the whole day. Like I'm editing it, I'm curating what yeah. images make it into the final gallery. And yeah. So it's still my eye in, in some way. Yeah. I mean, of course, and it's your couple and your sort of, yeah, it's, it's your energy in the space and they're sort of there to help you. Uh, talking about weddings, what is your process like? Is there a certain way that you like to look at it or a certain way you go into a wedding? Um, or do you literally just sort of show up and shoot what's interesting to you? How, how do weddings work with Sam Blake? Uh, yeah, I think I, I show up and photograph what's interesting to me mm-hmm. and how I feel about it in a way. Like, it's, uh-huh. to me, I feel like my way of shooting is kind of like a, it can sound weird to talk about. Like, it's a, a lot more of an emotional reaction. Which comes from your college time. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, like, how I feel about it. Um, but that being said, I go in organized. Like, I know what's happening. Sure, you have a timeline. You know the schedule. Uh, yeah, I've, I know what's happening. I know what's important to photograph. I try to find out what is important to uh, the couple. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love to learn about the family dynamic. Uh, so I understand relationships because th- that's one thing I, I kind of came across a few years, maybe a year or two ago, I was looking at the photo industry because I do a lot of portfolio reviews for photographers. Mm-hmm. I'm like, where did all the joy and celebration go in weddings? Interesting. It all kind of, I feel like all the photos that photographers were putting out were like these moody, serious photographs. And not the joy. And yeah, and the family, mm-hmm. like yeah, we photographers generally don't show family portraits in their portfolios. Sure. Because it's not interesting to anyone but the family. Yeah. Yeah. And we like to try to show more of our creativity. But there's so many other photos that can happen that are creative that show family members and connection to these mm-hmm. people and the relationships. Yeah. Rather than just all these epic couple shots. Yeah. Um, and so that's been my focus in the last few years is trying to delve a bit deeper into that and understanding to those happy moments. Yeah. And just understanding the families and, uh, working out. Yeah. What's going on. And, mm-hmm. Cause yeah, every family is unique. Listen, you don't have to tell me <laughs> every family is unique and every family has a little bit of crazy. Yeah. And it's That's good to work sure. out where the crazy is at. Yeah. And, 
look after that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> manage that. Manage have you? that, yeah. Um, and do, like, uh, I received this letter from one of my clients. She's actually one of my second shooters as well, so she's a photographer. Uh-huh. Uh, but she was getting married and I shot a wedding. Beautiful. And she wrote me this letter uh, maybe like six, seven months ago saying it's been like two, three years since her wedding. Uh, her father's just been diagnosed with a, a terminal illness mm. and how important these photos of her dad are to her now. Like yeah. these simple photos that she, she get at the wedding. She always have them. Yeah. And that they just brought on a whole new meaning to her rather than just um, – and you know, the letter was just like thanking me for that. And that was such a beautiful letter to receive just to be a reminder of why we actually photograph weddings. Mm-hmm. Like these people come together for this, you know, like five-hour – block of life really mm-hmm. and then they go away again and that's never going to exist again yeah and you have so much magic in that one moment in that yeah i uh i got another letter the other day from one of my brides saying one of her cousins passed away like a few weeks after the wedding and that these photos i took of him at the wedding like the last ones of him yeah and, like how much that is a gift to her because she'll always have it yeah and that's like hearing those sorts of things is such a reminder of why we what's actually important in the photography rather mm-hmm. than details or epic mountain shots or and i 100% agree with that like having recently lost a best friend all you have left of your memories really are photos and what's in that photo you relive all the happy memories you had like looking at a photo can bring up so much emotion so i think it's great that you sort of have that to look back to but not to hark on details not being important, because as a planner and designer, you they know, are, they are. I love me some details, because um, all of that definitely took time and energy, and it is a reflection of the couple. But I think you're 100% right that at the end of the day, the people in your life are what matter most. Mm-hmm. And they're coming together, and they were invited for a reason. So having those photographs, you know, is super important. Totally, yeah, yeah. But you're also, maybe it's just me, but I feel like you're known going back to the sort of like this mega couple portrait that, you know, I feel like you do that really well. A lot of your images are so stunning. A beautiful scenery and a tiny little couple. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Is that your signature shot or is that? No, I would say one of my, my signature shot is this sort of, in a way, moody. Um, Like this connection that the couple has. Uh-huh. It's more of a close-up portrait of the couple, but they're like generally looking at each other and there's just like an intensity going on in their eyes mm-hmm. when they're just like making eye contact. I would say that's the Sam Blake signature shot. That's the signature shot. Um, but then I do like lots of wide stuff too. Yeah. It just balances out. Yeah. The intimate and then the sort of far away. Yeah. How do you... What What's your secret to capturing that? I mean, it must be... You know, couples aren't used to being in front of cameras. It's super awkward. And you're trying to get an organic, natural chemistry between two people in a situation that is not organic or natural. So how do you guide them? How do you make that situation, you know, natural for them? Yeah, one of the first things I say to my couples, because generally one will will go, that's kind of awkward, or Mm -hmm. I'm nervous, or... And I just tell them, like, yeah, of course you're going to be nervous. Like, of course you're going to be feeling awkward. Like, you don't have a photographer yeah. following, <laughs> following you around, around every day. Like, yeah. it's okay to feel that. Yeah. And, and giving them that permission. Because I feel like people get so worked up about 
how nervous they're becoming, that their nervousness is making them more nervous Got or it. awkward. Yeah. And I feel like just like addressing the elephant in the room, mm-hmm. just kind of like, yeah, it's fine to feel awkward and weird this right now. This is awkward. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I do a lot of like walking in my my shoots, wedding days or portrait shoots. And the walking just gets people f- kind of forgetting that, like rather making a couple stiff and, and like posing, sure. like getting them walking, they just relax because mm-hmm. they're just kind of forgetting for a split second yeah. before being reminded again that there's a camera that you're them. there. <laughs> um, and just like kind of getting action-based things happening. So like rather than like posing, it's like directing in, in a, um, like I don't want to tell a couple how to hug. Mm. I want to say, guys, go for a hug. And how they hug is that's the magic because that's how he hugs her or vice versa. Like they see themselves in those photos. That's their chemistry. Yeah. So I've learned learning to shut up and just be quiet in shoots Mm. um, is like the biggest thing. Interesting. So managing less. Yeah. Just kind of learning to like let go and Mm -hmm. trust the couple that they'll actually be fine and yeah. do good things because they're in love and and they'll be who they are because some couples are really touchy-feely and other couples pda is not you know how they operate yeah so rather making a couple kiss when they're not into yeah into that in public like i'm not going to force that on them because you don't need that shot you don't care about that shot no i just want them having a great time and feeling good about themselves rather than like oh the photographer's making us do this weird (laughs) stuff Ah." yeah which we've all seen before i guess do you what are some of the main questions couples come to you with that we can talk on air you know like i have sometimes when people couples call me and they're like well i went to marthastewart.com and it's like the top 10 questions to ask a wedding planner so what are the ones that you think are silly to ask and what are the ones you think couples should be asking before booking someone. Because um, obviously your work, your body of work, they're going to look at that. They like your style. They like the way your pictures come across. But what's next for a couple? What would be... Good question, Joe. Uh, I think... I think it's a really good idea to meet up with a photographer. Cause in person. In person. Mm-hmm. And that the couple... Both like both members come, yeah, uh, and so they both get a connection with the photographer. That's mm-hmm. crucial, rather than just one coming, yeah. Because um, that is it's so much about the dynamic between photographer and the people the photographer's photographing. And if I meet someone only on the day of the wedding, yeah. There's just like a lack of I've got to work harder to get that connection. The connection takes longer. Yeah, yeah. And you know, I always like to meet up with my couples where possible. You know, always happy to have a drink with them if they're in New York or Mm -hmm. always insist on a Skype if face-to-face isn't possible. Sure. And then I try to make the effort to always meet up with them before the wedding as well. And that's, like, just a relationship builder. Yeah. Instantly going to get better photos. So you're comfortable. Yeah. They're comfortable. I'm comfortable. We're not kind of hanging out for the very first time. Yeah. And I mean, I always tell couples too with a photographer, this is the person, like, of course, you should love me as your planner. We're going to spend a lot of time together ahead of the wedding. But the day of the wedding, you have the most contact with the couple from getting ready to first look if they're doing it to couple portraits to their ceremony. I mean, mm-hmm. you're intimately so close with them. So that connection is crucial. Totally. Yeah. If you don't, if you find a f- photographer's personality, 
annoying when you meet up with them. Yeah. You don't want to be dealing you with that on your wedding them. day. Yeah. Uh, there'll be somebody else out there that you have a better connection with. Yeah. Rather than just going, like, I would say that's more important because the better the connection, the better the photographs. Will come out. Like, I, uh, I had one wedding where I wasn't allowed to really talk to the couple. Like, were they celebrities? Kind of, yeah. Ooh. Uh, but th- it was so hard to photograph them yeah. because I, there was like no relationship. Yeah. And so then when it came to like the, the portraits on the wedding day, it was like so tough to try to get something out of them because I wasn't, they're strangers. I wasn't allowed to talk to them while she's getting her makeup put on. And, yeah. And that's just like sometimes I ask silly questions just to start a conversation. Yeah. You know, like, oh, so what time is this happening again? It's just to... To get a laugh or a reaction. Yeah, yeah. Um, but they thought you just didn't know what you were doing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're like, read the timeline. Yeah. I'm like... You're like, yeah. I can read. That was not my purpose. The, yeah, there's ulterior mood of going on here. Um, That's always like... I So I line up the couples at a wedding ceremony, and I always tell a joke right before we go down the aisle. And the goal is to lighten everyone up. Because for some reason, right before the ceremony, which is the happiest part of the day, everyone is so serious and so intense. And I know for the photographer, that's going to show up. But also this is your wedding. We should all be so happy. So I tell a joke and 99.9% of the people laugh. They love it. And they sort of get that I'm helping them loose up right before they walk down the aisle. But this one bitch, I tell you, she came at me in front of the whole wedding party. She was like, that is not appropriate. Who do you think you are? I mean, you're a professional. Why would you even say a joke right now? I mean, she like, she didn't get it. No, she didn't get it. So I get it. Like, you have your little tricks of the trade to sort of warm people up or to capture an organic moment, but that that fell flat for you. Yes. So is that now a requirement? <laughs> like, you won't work with someone if you, won't, if you don't have that opportunity, or do you let them know that you don't think the photos will be as great, or...? Um, no, I try to... Uh, generally, I can tell by the first email if... Okay what the relationship's going to be like. Got it. So here's a tip uh, when you're inquiring with photographers, write some really nice stuff. <laughs> uh, like ex- ex- explain who you are as a couple. Yeah. Uh, explain what your plans are for the wedding. Like we love to read stuff. Yeah. The most uninspiring inquiries to get are the, hi, prices, please. Yeah. Are you available on this date? This date, what's your price? It's like, oh, what, you know, if, if you took, Choosing between two different couples, if they say you'll inquire on the same date, yeah. of course you're going to only probably pursue the one that's... Flattering. Flattering. No, Hi, a- Sam. I love your work, especially this shot. We're getting married. We'd be interested in learning more about you. Yeah. Versus, are you available? What's your price? Yeah. And also, like, with the couples, like, explain, like, just who they are. Like, I love that. Like, mm. the and I always know that they're the right clients for me when they've just... Like, obviously, it's... a might seem a little bit weird to open up so much in like their first email sure but my favorite clients are the ones that always do just maybe they're a bit more vulnerable as Uh who they are uh in day-to-day life that they feel comfortable doing that um but they're the ones i like i go out of my way for because i'm like oh no they really get me yeah uh like the, the wedding i just shot on the weekend in california the groom told me that he didn't want to get married unless I was shooting his wedding. What? He said that to the bride. That's and crazy. Like, that's the biggest compliment. Ever. Ever. Uh, and for, oh my for gosh. a guy to say that, you'd maybe sometimes expect a girl to say that. Yeah, yeah, but not but, the groom usually in that like, case. Oh, love you guys. 
Yeah. Um, and then I went back and actually read their initial inquiry and they like said really nice things mm-hmm. about my work. Right out of the gate. Yeah. And it's just like, oh, they obviously like really connected with my work. And, you know, I stayed a few extra hours at their wedding yep. because I love them. Yeah. And I wanted to give that to them. And that's, I think, a big secret that I always try to tell all of my couples is the nicer you are to your vendors the more they'll give you without charging you because they love you. Mm-hmm. Instead of taking this like bridezilla, groomzilla approach where you like think if you get crazy and loud and mean, you'll get free stuff or you'll get a better product. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> it's irrational, but the couples I love the most, I give them the most. I work the hardest. I'm up the latest. I'm like, I want this to be the best for you because you're so lovely. Totally. So I'm glad to hear that confirmed with you and not just me. And I think it's true across the board. Yeah. Like, you know, we're doing this, you know, every weekend that Mm -hmm. when there's the weddings that we look forward to because they're just, we know they're beautiful people in terms of their personalities and they're just caring and they, I know they care about me and, um, like that makes me excited. Like I've got a wedding in San Francisco this, uh, next weekend and she's invited me for drinks for the rehearsal dinner. Yeah. Because she hasn't met me yet. Yeah. And she, like, knows it's important that we sh- have a drink together. And she actually wants a drink with you. She's not inviting you to then help you photograph it. No, no, not at all. Like, I know <laughs> that's that happens sometimes. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, I know she's not like that. Like, yeah. Uh, but the fact that, you know, she's, she's offered, like, mm-hmm. just doing those little extra things. And, it, you know, it's like the vendor meal thing at weddings. Yeah. It's like, we're so hungry. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> By 9 p.m. that, you know, like... A hot meal is really appreciated. Yeah, I luckily have never been served a sta- sandwich and... It's terrible. I'll I tell you now, it's the worst. I pretty upset. I, at one wedding, I had they had, like, separate catering for the wedding. Uh-huh. It's kind of, like, insulting. It's like, I worked 30 hours at this wedding and it's like, you gave me mac and cheese. Yeah. And I generally like mac and cheese. Sure, it's delicious. But it's... Yeah. Like, you didn't think to give me a what nice meal else. or, like, yeah. like, I've been working for 14 hours at this stage. Like, yeah. Yeah. Is it not in your contract? You don't put that you require a hot meal in oh, your yeah, contract? Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's there. Yeah. Like, this wedding in particular had so many uh, vendors that Got they it. obviously decided to bring in a whole separate catering. Because of the cost efficiency. And I get that. It's, you know, like, I know for a couple, things do get expensive. But sure. Th- th- there's a, particularly a few people that... You look after well and yeah. you'll get so much back <laughs> the product in return. Is better. Yeah. Like absolutely. And it's just like getting exhausted. And like yeah. if you know I've got another five hours of work, I've eaten well. And I'm not fantasize about tacking the cheese. Those like, five the hours cheese are board. amazing. Uh yep. I just have so much more energy to to keep at it yeah. and not just be like kind of fall into like a low energy mood or Yeah. You're not gonna be uh hangry. <laughs> I get hangry. Yeah, weddings. a hangry if- wedding planner and a hangry photographer don't end with happy weddings. <laughs> I don't think anyone benefits from that. So um, that totally makes sense. No, a hot meal, it's in my contract now because someone literally was like, I have to feed you. And I was like, yes, of course you do. And it, like, and they were like, okay, well, here's a, like a kosher deli sandwich. And it was cold. And it was disgusting, and I was like, this is unacceptable. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I think part of it's like people don't know, and then part of it is like, 
yeah, I don't, I mean, now there's no excuse. It's in the contract, (laughs) but yeah, it's all these little things. I think you're absolutely right. And the more a couple gives themselves to you, the better product you, they can get because the more you know about them. Totally. So what's your advice for anyone starting out? I just learned how to, you know, I just decided I want to become a wedding photographer because I like taking pictures of my cat and my and nature. Hypothetically, I don't. <laughs> what would you tell a newbie who wants to start out in the industry? Shoot as much as you can. Uh, as Offer a second shooting to all the photographers you admire. And don't just send one email. Uh, like, I get emails all the time asking mm-hmm. me for stuff and then they just kind of get filed away because they can't yeah don't have the time to like respond to every single person um but then like your email just might pop in at just the right time yeah um but it's also like going to industry things like all my second shooters are people i know personally and call friends yeah they trust them like i'm happy to share a hotel room with them Mm -hmm. so just getting out in the like photo community or whatever you know industry you're in in wedding world uh getting to know all the other vendors and just makes life and the career you're choosing to go down so much of a pleasurable if you like the people you work with yeah totally and it you can be a lonely job um so just getting out and knowing getting to know as many people because then it's also like when in they need an assistant last minute and they've just maybe had lunch with you or had a drink with you yeah they remember you they think of you they think of you and you get the call um and i yeah i only ever shoot with people i know so yeah. going to like workshops or conferences and just get your name out there and people you know start to remember you and and all that i think that's the it's the networking even the networking can seem so such a terrible Mm -hmm. idea in a way but in a very genuine and authentic manner uh that I think is the most valuable thing you can do for yourself when starting out in this industry. And also finding your community because there's so many different types of photography. I mean, there are still some people that do that, you know, huge flash and super cheesy poses and like that exists. And, you know, in New Jersey and Long Island and other places that exists. Mm -hmm. So if that's who you are and that's what you're drawn towards, maybe don't be contacting a hyper emotional moody photographer. Right, like find your niche and find the style that works for you. Do you also agree that there are different styles? And and what would you, what are the technical terms maybe for those styles that are out there? Ooh, I guess there's fine art style. Okay. Uh, Is that where you'd put yourself? No, I kind of put a little, I can put a few different labels on it. Okay. (laughs) Uh, There's definitely fine art aspects, but when I think of fine art, I think more film photographers, like okay. fine art editorial. I oh, think I of see. more the California and film look. Okay. That bright. Bright. Um, it's very more. It's more stylized. Uh-huh. Very detail orientated. Um, then there's more the photojournalistic side, which is, uh, yeah, just documenting the day as mm-hmm. it is. Not the photographer's not really doing much behind, mm-hmm. you know, to get the shots. They're just capturing what's unfolding and then there's um then there's obviously more classical style of Mm -hmm. photography that was popular in the 80s yeah uh and it's more just camera aware sure like more posing and that and then i don't know what to call the main like there's kind of like a mainstream and 
it's not like it is mainstream, yeah. but it's probably the more populous sure. style of photography. What's expected, maybe. Uh, the stereotypical. What, yeah, what's popular today. Um, and I don't really know what to call that. It's a blend of everything. It's mm. a little bit of everything, I think. But I think I belong in... Oh, I don't know. Bit of fine art. Maybe it's like an emotive category as well. Like mm. something that's more emotional. Mm-hmm. Like... Yeah. Well, it's it's you're figuring it out. You're creating a new category. Yeah, I like I like challenging myself every year as well. Like I sit down like during the off season and mm-hmm. like, all right, what am I going to get better at this year? Yeah. And, you know, like I've been in New York for four almost four years, and like shooting in New York is a whole beast of a thing. Sure. Compared to Australia or California or wherever, and you know, shooting. Like, my first New York wedding was in a basement with down lights. Oh, my gosh. And I swore, I think, the whole way through it, just like, what have I done? What yeah. have I done? Why have I moved here? <laughs> uh, like, what is this? This isn't working. Yeah. Uh, it was just, like, down lights on half the bride's face. Oh, my gosh. And it's, like, all that intense shadow. And no natural light because it's a basement. Yeah, and it was their ceremony. And oh, it was no. just, like, ah, black ceilings so I couldn't bounce light or anywhere. Um. So, yeah, like, I challenged my, like, now that I'm, like, three, four years in to shooting New York weddings, like, I still want to get better at it. Yeah. Like, i got to get better at lighting. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've been shooting weddings for 13 years, so I don't and I don't think I know it all yet. I'm yeah. going to keep teaching myself stuff. Always learning. Yeah, like, I just bought this new big flash um, to, like, to start doing something different at receptions, mm-hmm. particularly in the, the super the dark darker rooms. spaces. And, like challenging myself in that way yeah rather than just being on autopilot mode yeah like i don't want to ever do that you don't want to feel stale you always want to be growing and learning yeah, yeah. and now you're also teaching yes don't you have a workshop coming up i do i have a workshop on june 28th and 29th here mm-hmm. in new york great uh i've been teaching workshops uh about four years. Okay. That's what it originally brought me to New York. I was doing a workshop series called Art in the Heart with my friend. Cute. Art in the Heart. Yes. I can't. <laughs> uh, with my friend Dan O'Day. He's an Australian photographer. And we kind of took our little workshop on tour. Because uh, we are shooting heaps of destination weddings. We're uh-huh. like, we'll do workshops too. So we did New York, London, Cork in Ireland. Palm Springs, Melbourne, Perth, Byron Bay, and another place in Australia. My gosh, literally everywhere. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, but now that I'm over here and he's still in Australia, we're kind of doing our own things. Um, so I've, yeah, decided to do it all on my own, which is fun and it's kind of scary It'll at the be same too. Always time. scary. Anything new and exciting is always scary. But it's here in Brooklyn? I haven't decided if it's in Brooklyn or in Manhattan. Okay. I'm still trying to find the right but New space. York City area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Two-day workshop and who should attend or who might be interested in coming? I would say uh, wedding photographers or people wanting to get a start in wedding photography. And it's definitely a business-orientated workshop. Okay. There's no actual li- live shooting. Got it. So there'll so, be no styled shoots. It's more the back end of owning your own business. Yes. So it's like an intensive of like... Uh, I find people just want to know a lot of the what I thought was basic stuff. And mm-hmm. they just... If you're missing a few of those key things, yep. it can just be so 
detrimental or challenging trying to like swim your way through this big sea yeah um so i we kind of go over anything that the attendees want to learn but it's like editing um and how to like make a fast you know editing process sure uh, and, and finding your voice and style within the editing process. Sure. Your signature for who you are. Yeah, rather than just trying to mimic another photographer, like, yeah. spend some time. Because while that's flattering, it's also not cute. <laughs> yes. And it's just not being true to who you are. Sure. You're just ripping off another photographer. It's not your authentic point of and view. And you're just doing yourself a disservice. Yeah. Um, so I want to give them the tools so they can actually do that. Sure. Um, like, get into the the back end of Lightroom in a way of like, yeah, this is actually how you do things mm-hmm. rather than copying and pasting a preset. Yeah. Um, and then there's like, yeah, like Photoshop stuff as well. But then there's all like, you know, bookings and client meetings mm-hmm. and, and payment and pricing and all of the things that go into running your own business. The 100 million different things. Yeah. You don't just pick up a camera shoot and go away. <laughs> no. Being a photographer, I spend way, obviously way more time in my, in my office doing um, all the different types of admin work. And, yeah. and I, run a, I run an agency as well in Australia. So I do that amongst all my other things. Yeah. And You're not busy at all. No. And I just finished a documentary. I, I noticed that and I wanted to talk about that. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, tell us a little bit more about what that is and what it entails. This is obviously not wedding related. This is a different passion for you. Yes, not wedding related at all. I really wanted to do something outside of my wedding work just mm-hmm. to put my brain somewhere else for a while. Yeah. Uh, and going back to like my photojournalism days, mm-hmm. or that's the path I kind of always wanted to take. Yeah. Um, trying to get back a little bit to that. Uh and it was actually only through my weddings that allowed me to do this. So I'm actually working out. It's a blend of both worlds yeah. to hang out in and yeah. find fulfillment in. Uh, so my film is about a 99-year-old man whose name is Harold Martin. Mm-hmm. And he's a sweetheart. He, uh, when he was 22, 23 years old, he was uh, went away to war in the Second World War. Mm-hmm. He was a soldier for 10 days before he got caught by the Japanese. Wow. And then spent two and a half years in a prison camp building the Burma Thai Railway. Oh, my gosh. Uh, he survived that, saw a lot of his friends die in the process mm-hmm. because they're all on starvation diets and the extreme diseases, like living in a jungle in very primitive conditions. Mm-hmm. Um, so he survived that. He was then put on a ship to get taken to japan because the war was still on and they're going to continue working on in the coal mines and the u.s submarines bomb the ship he's on because they don't realize there's he's prisoners are on there prisoners are on there yeah because it's a japanese ship uh he survives that oh my gosh and he floats in the ocean for four days what yeah there's obviously driftwood and stuff coming off from the ship Survived that for four days, and there was like this. Uh, I think he calls it the. I don't know some part of the ship that he hopped in. Yeah, like a bit of driftwood. It was a little sitting heavier in the water, and so they floated. It floated him sort of to the shore. No, not to the shore. Just they ended up traveling for fifty miles in this direction. Submarine was coming past, and the the like U.S. as a U.S. submarine again. They thought they were Japanese soldiers. They tried to kill them again. Yes. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) 
Harold has blonde curly hair, they realize because they're all covered in oil. Yeah. So they've been baking in oil for four days. A bit of Harold's uh, blonde curly hair sticking out, and they're like, "Oh, he's that, not Japanese. He's not Japanese. Oh, these are all Allied soldiers. Let's save them." Oh my god! So he gets saved, uh, and he goes back to Australia, carries on with life. Uh, he had to sign a confidentiality agreement to never talk about it, uh, about what happened to him. Sure. So now that he's in his 90s. He doesn't care. He's like... No gotta, fucks given, yeah. Yeah, i got to get this out. i <laughs> yeah. got to tell this story. Um, See, the Australian government made him sign... Yes. The, wow. Uh, it was... At the time, they said it was... Because there were still prisoners. Mm-hmm. Like, the war was still was going for on. for safety, yada, yada, yada. Like, we don't want the wives of these men to, like, find out what's going on. Mm-hmm. But... But the wives were also sent letters going, don't ask your husbands about what happened. Yeah. They don't need to dwell on it. Yeah. So, like, Harold and his wife never talked about it. She has no idea. She knew he was a prisoner. Sure. But nothing that he went through and, like, the horror that he saw. And so it's like... That's like PTSD to the max. <laughs> yeah. Go and... through all of that and don't talk to anyone about it. Nothing. Mm-hmm. And so were you the first person he opened up to? My mother was the first person he kind of opened up to. Wow. So my parents own a restaurant and Harold's been coming in for coffee every day. For like forever. Forever. And over the years, my mum, he slowly opened up Pieced to my mum. Pieced it together. And that's kind of where I kind of came in. Sure. Uh, so my mum actually took him to San Francisco uh, to the submarine that saved his life. Mm-hmm. And then Harold got the travel itch. Like in his nineties, and he's like, <laughs> I, I want to travel. <laughs> uh, and uh, Myanmar, Burma just opened up because they've been in a military dictatorship. Yeah, and that just opened up, and that's where he, all his friends are buried. Mm-hmm. And my dad, you know, realizing it was a perfect opportunity to like, go, to go yeah. because tourists can now go in. So my dad took him to, back to the to the railway line that he built. Yeah, helped build. Yeah, so I met up with him. There, because I had a wedding. No, this was the second trip. Um, like I had a wedding on one weekend, and I had a wedding in New Zealand the next weekend. So I did like this four day trip. Sure. To go film it, uh, and at that stage, it was only going to be a photography project. But once I brought audio in, it became so much more powerful. Yes, yeah, to could... hear him share. Yeah. Uh, so then I was like, oh, now I'm making a film mm-hmm. and I don't know anything. About that. <laughs> yeah. So I taught myself how to make a film. Okay. Well, like, because all my camera gear is... It's the same. You can it, photo video. It does video. So, uh, and then, like, my friends at Sharpig, mm-hmm. um, their production company in LA, uh, they taught me a few a few things. Sure. And you picked it up. Yeah. And just dived into it and obviously fumbled and did the wrong things yep. and all of that. Uh, and then I had a wedding in Abu Dhabi. This was in 2014. And I worked out Abu Dhabi to Bangkok would only cost me $200. Oh, so why not? So, and he was going back again yep. for another trip because now he, you know, he can't stop traveling. <laughs> so at that stage, the project was only going to be like a smaller thing. And then I'm like, oh, I've got the opportunity to go back again, yeah. like two, another two years later. So I did that and... Um, that's where I kind of spiraled into a, docu- a forty-minute documentary. And so now, where's the film? Where can we watch it? It is available online, but it's password protected. Okay. Uh, because I'm trying to enter it into film festivals. I see. So if you go to my website and send me a message, I'll share 
the password. Okay, and that's um, samblakeweddings.com? If you, uh, my personal work is at samblake.com. Okay, and that's two M's, S-A-M-M. Why are there two M's? Good question. Is that Australian? No. Uh, so I lived on Sterling Terrace, and there was another girl called Samantha Blake that lived on <laughs> Sterling Terrace, and she went to my school. <laughs> And she got called up for a, a certificate one day, and I thought it was me. And I got up on stage, but she also got up. But she won it, not you. Yeah. And I had this, like, I'm a, I just stood up in my entire school. Yeah. How embarrassing. It was, like, one of these really, like, such embarrassing moments. And then I was, like, so angry at her because she had the same name and lived on the same street yeah. and all of that. So that from that day, it was, like, when I was 10 You were 11, Sam. I was Sam with two M's. Got it. So you decided your legal name is not Sam with what with two M's. No. <laughs> oh my god, that's amazing. You were like, I'm taking a stand for my own identity. <laughs> yes. Well, so I've been doing this two M thing since I was like ten. Yeah. And then when it got to like getting to my photography business, like when I was twenty four ish. When I was like, do I be Samantha Blake? But no one calls me Samantha. That just seems weird. Yeah. And then if I write Sam with one M, that might, that doesn't They might think seem, you're a man. No, that just seems weird too, because okay. I've never spelled my name that way. Yeah. So it just feels right. Yeah. Well, I like it. I've only ever known you as Sam with two M's, so that's good. And there's two other things I wanted to talk about before we wrap up. This has been so lovely. Um, your cats. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> because they love to be here. They've been, like, nuzzling with the microphones. Tell me all <laughs> about your kitties. Uh, so my kitties are just about to have their first birthday with me. Uh, well, like they've been so they've been living here for eleven months. Okay. Uh, I adopted them at a like Manhattan super adoption weekend. Yeah. Uh, so I moved into this apartment pretty much exactly one year ago, and then if, we always knew we wanted to get a cat. We went out for brunch, had a few margaritas, and then went to the Manhattan Super Adoption. And you had two cats. And we have two cats. I fell in love with Possum. Classic. Carrie fell in love with Chance. And we're like, we'll hold both of them to see which one we have like more of a connection with. And yeah. I'm like... You're never letting it go. Yeah. So we're like, all right, we're adopting two cats. We're each going to get one. Mm-hmm. And were those the names they had at the shelter, or those are the names you gave them? They're their new names. So Possum. Possum was actually called Fancy. <laughs> she was from the Bronx. <laughs> I'm Fancy from the Bronx. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and now she's Possum. She's Possum. So in Australia, we have this childhood, the like children's book called Possum Magic. Okay. And it's just like a, a nickname, you got like a endearing name you give someone like possum like dame edna have you ever heard of uh-huh, her yeah um she always calls people possum and Got so it's it. like an australian it's a cute thing a cute thing you call people mm-hmm. and i just started calling her possum like oh possum and i'm like that's her name that's it and then chance was actually called shadow and he was from <laughs> staten island because he's black like, no he's the black creative. and white one. no oh, he's, he's the black and white one yeah okay and no he was from staten island and he just he has he's like a bully <laughs> Uh, he was so nice to me. Yeah, he bullies the other one there. Oh, got it. Uh, but yeah, no, I just imagine him as like like a Staten Island guy that likes to eat pizza and just a bit rough. And so his name is Chance. Kira came up with okay. that name. Got it. So you won't take credit there. No. 
Um, and the last thing I want to talk about is sort of Australian-isms versus Americanisms. Like, are there any funny words that we always get wrong or misunderstand? I mean, you're not. I have a lot of Australian friends, and my favorite thing to say is, you know, hear them say is the word no. No. Because here we have, like, one consonant and one vowel in that word. But for Australians, it's like, no. No. That's there it like- is. <laughs> But it's the first thing you have to learn if you want to start speaking Australian is to get the O-I in no. 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 But I know like, my accents change a little. Okay. Uh, and I can switch between my nose now. Okay. And I don't even not realise I'm doing it. Yeah. Like I can I can turn on my Aussie uh, pretty quickly. But, but So this isn't your Aussie? Uh, no. Can you do an American accent? No. Do you want to try? Maybe no. just say, like, pour me a glass, pour me some more wine. <laughs> you tried in, in, in American and I'll oh. try it in Aussie. All right, you go first. No, you go first. <laughs> Wait, let me drink a little bit more. Yeah, Hold yeah, on. Yeah. Let's take a sip. All right, I'll go first. Pour me some more wine. <laughs> not bad. Not bad. Not British, however. Okay, that was a little British. Should I, like, drop it down a little? Okay, now let's hear your American. (laughs) Uh, Pour me a glass of wine. (laughs) It's so funny. All my Aussie friends are the same. They revert to a Midwestern American accent. Pour me some wine. Wine. (laughs) Wine. Now uh, you my, say my thank yous. So my Australian thank you is thank you. My American th- thank you, thank you. <laughs> Which is more Valley Girl? <laughs> thank you. Yeah, I could I could turn on the Valley Girl, <laughs> like. <laughs> That's amazing. But when I go back to Australia now, I have people going, "Oh, you're getting quite American," and I'm like. What? what? Yeah. So, yeah, I'm apparently sounding very American. Okay. To Aussies. To Aussies, but obviously to Americans, I sound, sound so Aussie. Very Australian. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Well, this has been so much fun. Uh, make sure to follow Sam Blake on Instagram. You have a few accounts if you want to share those with us. Uh, there's one, um, which is my main one, at Sam Blake. Okay. And then I have another one at Sam... Uh, Sam Blake Weddings. Which is two M's, and weddings is plural. <laughs> yes. And Perfect. then I have another one called Yeah Weddings Collective. Okay, which, which is, is your group of people. My agency in Australia. Got it. So if anyone wants to book photographers and videographers. Just photographers. Just photographers in Australia or that area, they should check that out. Yes. And that is called? Yeah Weddings Collective. Perfect. And they're also on Instagram. Yes. Well, this has been so much fun. It I look has. forward to hanging out with you soon in Mexico. I know, I can't And wait. thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Weddings-ish! The music in this podcast was made by the fabulous Mel Flannery of Mixtape, a cover band for hipsters. Thanks, Mel. Love the jingle. Weddings-ish! Weddings-ish! Weddings-ish.